Good morning and welcome to another edition of Recovery from Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Frayne. This is episode 28, and today is Thursday, February 18th, 2021. So today's going to be a quick one. Uh, a lot of the stories going on are pretty pretty straightforward, so... <coughs> oh, excuse me. There's not too much to go on, but uh, we'll start off with our local story of the day. Uh, and again, I am up in uh, Washington State, so if this isn't your thing, just skip ahead a few minutes. <laughs> uh, but basically, Mercer Island uh, restricts camping on public property in a near unanimous vote. The vote was six to one. This was their uh, city council there. Uh, in case you didn't know, Mercer Island is a very wealthy community, and it's also an island. So it's uh, it's natural for wealthy folks like to flock there specifically to wall themselves off from the undesirables. So it doesn't shock me that, uh, you know, they're basically going against homelessness. Some of the ridiculousness apart <laughs> of this is basically they're going to fine the homeless people a thousand dollars. And I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. They're homeless. If they had a thousand dollars, they wouldn't be sleeping in the streets, especially with the weather this nation has been having the last few days. Um, if they had a thousand bucks, they would be in a hotel room or, or anywhere else. They clearly don't have a thousand dollars. Um, and you can also be thrown in prison for 90 days. So that's in addition to your thousand dollars. And by the way, if you don't have the money to pay them back, they just keep you in prison longer. This is one of the main problems we have with this, uh, war on the poor, war against poverty and, uh, and everything. It was never a war against poverty to repair poverty or to bring people out of poverty or even to even help them. It's literally been a war against them. And this is one of those things that really pisses me off, um, you know, Mercer Island is the type of place that uh, engages in that, you know, architecture against homelessness, where you see park benches that specifically have these huge metal uh, arm rails in the middle of them so nobody can lay down on them. They're the type of place that underneath overpasses puts these really spiky steel, you know, bolts into the ground so that you can't lay there. Um, and I, I find it all very dystopian and distasteful. Um, I also hate the fact these people are not willing to help their fellow man. They are a very wealthy part of the state, and it's just insane to me that they don't try to use that financial advantage that they have to everyone's benefit. Um, you know, the proponents say the homeless uh, won't be fined or thrown in prison unless they refuse to comply, but here's the fun thing. So if a cop is called on a homeless person parking in a park or any public area, uh, they're going to be redirected to shelters. Well, there are no shelters in Mercer Island. This is a big deal uh, to me because it's like, no, you, you, you're just trying to kick this off to somebody else because obviously Mercer Island doesn't pay any money into shelters that are in, say, Bellevue or anywhere else. They only pay for their own stuff, and they clearly aren't interested in investing in this. They'll pay to put bolts in the ground to keep you from sleeping there, but they won't pay to set up a small homeless shelter, you know, off to the side, out of the view of the of the wealthy, uh, so that they can, you know, live there. Um, it's entirely gross. Uh, I will never, you know, I mean, I don't want to go there. Um, and, you know, because of COVID, a lot of local funding has gone down. And one of the things they've been forced to cut has been uh, to the homeless shelters. So there are no homeless shelters in Mercer Island. They're kicking all their homeless people to other shelters across the state. Uh, 
And across the state, a lot of places aren't investing in them anymore. And also you have this COVID issue. So the closest men's shelter is five miles away on the mainland in Bellevue. And due to COVID-19, they obviously can't operate like they used to. So the max they can hold is 100 men, and it's at full capacity. Reports are they daily turn away about 5 to 10 people. Um, so this is interesting because there was a Ninth District Court of Appeals decision called Martin versus Boise. And they ruled that if there are no shelter beds available, you cannot enforce the law. This is already existing. Uh, this is an in response to this particular law, but other places have tried stuff like this. And they basically said, look, you know, uh, like we said, uh, the, the cop would be called. And if you refuse to comply or unable to comply, then they would fine you or imprison you. Well, the court said that's not fair. If all the shelters are full, you know, what, what the hell do you expect these people to do? They obviously have limited means. Um, so, because of that, the court ruled, you know, you can't enforce that. You can't penalize somebody uh, because all the shelters are full. You know, that that's just ridiculous. And the shelters are already full. They're already operating at max. Um, so this is just a disgusting thing that's going on right now. And Mercer Island, uh, again, very wealthy community that is uh, obviously very, very sick in the head about what to do with their fellow man. I'll guarantee you, all of them call themselves Christians and ride that Trump flag. Um, but it's especially sickening to me because statistics show most homeless people, when they become homeless, remain in the local community that they were once housed in. So there's a very high probability that these people just voted to criminalize their former neighbors for falling on hard times, which, hey, surprise, it's a pandemic. A lot of people are in hard times right now. You would think this would be when charity, you know, pops up the most. And, you know, I, I hate the right, the rights argument like, oh, well, if you hate homelessness, why don't you invite homeless people into your home? No, that's not my job. My job is to get government to provide some action on this. And government can do this in a compassionate, good way. They, they could invest in shelters. They could invest in mental health because a lot of these people are. But some people are homeless because they are unlucky. You know, they, they, they were in a service industry job and surprise, you know, COVID hits and now they're screwed. And, you know, other people are kicked out of their homes. You know, there, there is still a stigma within a lot of the world. And especially here in the United States with evangelicals, where if you come out to your parents as gay or bisexual or transsexual, you are kicked out of the house. And chances are, if you lived in a home like that, a lot of your immediate community think the same way. So it's not like you can go next door to your neighbor who's much more understanding. And a lot of people, because we have this weird thought process here in America, don't like asking for help. So, you know, when mom and dad kick you out of the house... You don't want to bug anybody. You don't want to. You don't want to knock on doors and beg. That's not you. So they end up on the streets, and this is why the majority of like sex crimes against homeless people are done against these types of individuals. It's 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 horrific, and I absolutely hate everybody involved with this. You know, uh, <clears throat> this is not. This is not the best of humanity. This is the absolute worst. And I hate that it's the local story for today, but it is. 
So today for national news, yesterday a bully who lied about everything constantly ironically died from lung cancer as a lifelong cigar smoker who as recently as 2015 denied that tobacco caused lung cancer. Uh, he also believed that climate change was a hoax, thought COVID-19 was no worse than a cold, thought immigrants were harmful to America, mocked children, women, and men, used to have a song called Barack the Magic Negro. He would sing all the time when President Obama was president. Uh, it, it just attacked everybody for no reason, accused Michael J. Fox of making up his Parkinson's disease, uh, just brought out the worst in America. I consider him up there with Newt Gingrich as the two people from the 90s uh, who, who really made this country as shitty as it can be. It brought the worst out in everybody and ultimately culminated in the disastrous bigot President Donald J. Trump. I hope he rots in hell. He's a piece of shit. Um, and he died yesterday. And the world is better for it. I would I would feel better. However, um, as I was explaining to someone yesterday, you know, when Bill O'Reilly was kicked off Fox News, I was all really happy and jovial. And I thought, yes, maybe they'll replace him with somebody more logical and perhaps arguing in good faith. And they didn't. They replaced him with Tucker Carlson, who's actually way worse. Um, so, you know, I'd be happier about it if I knew that this was the end of an era. However, I think that the person who picks up this mantle is only going to be worse. Um, but, you know, I, I, I added on here a little two minute thing from yesterday when I heard about this person's death, uh, just to, you know, let you hear in his own words, what he had to say about all the horrible, horrible shit this awful human being had to say, complete grifter, awful human being. Uh, yeah, we're better for him. And the best thing you can say about him is uh, I'm glad he got to see Donald Trump lose. And to finish off our day today with some world news, um, this will probably be the most in-depth we go into on today for today's segments. Um, it, it's kind of an in-general piece. There's not one thing that's kind of happening right now. However, now that... Um, you know, President Biden has taken office and he's done a few things already via executive orders. A lot of people are starting, especially with the attack in Iraq recently and uh, the issue over in Turkey, to discuss, okay, it's, it's time to unveil a more nuanced, specific foreign policy because there's foreign policy when it comes to France. And there's foreign policy when it comes to Iran. And obviously those two things are very different. And so there have been a lot of pieces you can go through pretty much every website these days. It, all their opinion pieces will have at least one or two things about the Middle East um, or uh, a country in the Middle East specifically. You have problems in Egypt. You have a situation with Israel uh, because, of course, uh, Biden... Biden didn't talk to him until just this week, uh, Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. And, uh, you know, that was seen as a huge insult to the Israeli people. And I don't really know, you know, because it's politicians usually that say that. It's like, 
It's like Ted Cruz coming out and saying, the American people don't want this. It's like, hey, how the hell do you know what the American people want? So uh, I never buy into it. But, you know, politicians over in Israel who are friendly to Benjamin Netanyahu are, of course, saying the Israeli people are very upset about this. And I, I really doubt that. Um, if they're anything like normal people, they probably don't pay that much attention to international affairs and really think a phone call between two countries is, eh? You know, call me when the phone call actually has something of substance, you know, uh, really don't think people pay too much attention about it. And honestly, if you're the kind of country that thinks America should call us first, you know, go to hell. Fuck you. Seriously. Like you think you're that important. Um, uh, and that comes for any country, not just because, you know, that that whole United States is the greatest country in the world thing. But like, seriously, any country, if any country thinks oh, we should take their call first, or we should call these people first. It's like, no, man, whoever the hell leader is makes his mind up. And if you're insulted because you weren't first, get out of kindergarten. Seriously, this is something that should have been beaten out of you as a child by society. Um, you don't get to be that kind of person. Um, so yeah, anyway. Um, uh, I particularly like uh, uh, Max Boot. He writes in the Washington Post, and uh, he, he laid out a lot of the challenges Biden faces. He gave a very uh, uh, broad uh, idea of what to do with uh, the Middle East. Uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, they discuss uh, mostly troop levels in Afghanistan. And uh, shock, they both think we need to double the number of troops there. We currently have about 2,500, and they want it up to 4,500. Um because of course they do that that doesn't shock me at all um these are the same papers that beat the drumbeat for the first iraq war in 2003 you know they, they love them some more they love them troops and they are huge huge warmongers and so yeah it doesn't shock me that they're like oh biden should increase the troops in afghanistan if he wants to show the taliban he means business and i'm like oh, yeah. you know honestly it's america's longest running war i don't think anyone cares anymore the only people that care are Washington, D.C. insiders. Um, however, there was one article, and it happens to be free, no paywall, uh, no subscription required, that offered what I thought were reasonable, peaceful, long-term solutions for the entire region. Now, this is not a end-all, but I think this is a starting point. I think, I think this article laid out solutions and ways that that biden can start diplomacy with each and every country regardless of friend ally authoritarian king or democratically elected leader um it's it's a good way to start i would even offer that in general we should start there with everyone uh but it would require a complete overhaul of our diplomacy in the middle east uh right now we're kind of doing this piecemeal thing um, but this is, this is, this is very doable and would demonstrate president Biden's ability as a witness to all the mistakes made. I mean, this guy has been a Senator forever. So he saw the first Iraq war. He saw the second Iraq war. He voted for the second Iraq war. I don't know his vote on 92s. I imagine it was four, but everyone was kind of for that. So I'm not gonna, not gonna judge him on that one. Um, plus, you know, that was at least handled well, um, you know, but but for as a senator, he saw all these wars. 
Uh, as vice president, he was clearly in the room when decisions were being made. And as an observer for four years, as the bull wrecked the China shop, um, you know, he could he could look at all that and say, okay, clearly what's been going on for at least the last 30 years is not working. You know, if anything, you could make an argument the United States has made everything worse. Um, so I wouldn't do it too much justice just by trying to repeat it here. Um, it is on Al Jazeera's website. A link will be in the show notes and it will be shared on our uh, Twitter account at politics underscore from and our Facebook pages. So I highly encourage you to read. It's a, it's a short read. It's to the point. It, it'll take you three minutes tops, really. And that's me and I'm a slow reader. Uh, but I really think it's it's a good idea. Basically, you know, you, you treat everyone with respect, you understand their difficulties, you accept certain things. Um, but of course, it, it demands, and I think this just makes sense considering the region, it demands a peace agreement between uh, Israel and Palestine. There just has to be one. Um, this, this just isn't sustainable. Usually, nine out of 10 complaints that you know, Middle Eastern countries have with the United States and with Israel is the treatment of the their fellow, you know, Muslim people that are living there and frankly were there first. So there there's a huge issue there. And nobody's arguing that Israel be wiped off the planet, even though that's, you know, the fever dream of some Iranians. You know, uh as I said, one of the accidental good things of the Trump administration was they backed off and the Middle Eastern countries actually started forming treaties with each other, including with Israel, because they realized, oh, mom and dad aren't here anymore. We need to take care of this ourselves. And this is a good starting point for Biden to actually step forward and go, go with. Okay, great. You guys have shown a willingness to work together. Now we need to seal the deal. We need to get this peace agreement between Palestine and Israel. And if they get it, a lot of the problems magically do go away for the United States and for Israel. Um, you know, usually a lot of these wars is, you know, you, you see a country declaring war on people that worship the same way as you, speak the same language as you, look like you, and you want to intervene, especially again when you consider, you know, Jewish people were not there at first. It was Palestinians who ran the whole place and they got kicked out for good reasons uh i mean i guess it's it's very shades of gray um you can argue the world's better with an israeli state you can argue there isn't either way um but you know it's there now we have to deal with it like i said about the nuclear treaty deal with iran negotiated under obama we can't just go back to it we have to acknowledge that that is no longer the way things are so we have to accept hey you know what israel's there they're there to stay sorry about it we have to move forward there has to be a peace agreement and i think trump accidentally stumbled into a way to provide this to biden uh biden could get this done that's that's kind of like a thing because like i said you do that and a lot the anti-American sentiment in the Middle East vanishes, especially if America plays a role in that peace agreement. So, you know, this is something I, I, 
I read it. I really liked it. Uh, it's very simple. It's not complicated. It's four things that the United States could do immediately. And, you know, requires nothing else. Um, but I highly recommend it. it. Like I said, it will be linked in the show notes and on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, be sure to review, leave five stars, leave one star, even if you hate it. It really doesn't matter. Um, the more you guys do that, if you want to help this you know, a page grow and podcast expand to more people. The more people who rate and review, that's how the algorithms work everywhere. I have no control over that. Um, the only other method would be me paying money <laughs> and I don't have any to pay. I don't have any advertising. I got to do this by word of mouth. So, um, you know, share like if you do. And you know what? Even if you hate it, go ahead and leave a review. Tell me, you know, Kyle's a piece of crap. I, I hate everything he says, and I wish he wouldn't swear so much. Yeah. But anyway, you guys have a great day. I'm hoping to have more for you tomorrow. Today was a bit of a short one, just because I thought the issues were still, you know, pretty much straightforward. You know? I mean, there's not much to argue here. It's just opinion. So anyway, you guys have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.